When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. Hi, and welcome back to The Carol Markowitz Show on iHeartRadio. We have to be aware of bad ideas, and that's why I'm sharing with you that I cringed through an article in The New York Times reviewing a new book about polyamory called More, so that you don't have to. A rich lady who lives in Park Slope, Brooklyn, which is where we lived before we moved to Florida, so I can tell you Park Slope is where the worst of ideas are born, She goes out one night and flirts with a man in a bar. When she tells her husband about it, he suggests she sleep with the man and tell him about it. Hmm. They proceed to open their marriage and have what sounds like the most horrific experiences ever. And they suggest you do the same. The husband admits he was not at all discerning about who he slept with when they first opened their marriage, but it doesn't really sound like the wife was either. At first, She mostly slept with men who were cheating on their wives. Great. And then she describes people like Carl, the German who pushes her to have a threesome with him and his fiance and then never calls her again. Or the French guy who refuses to wear condoms and likes to have sex in public bathrooms. And she ends up getting kicked out of a co-working space because you're really not supposed to have sex in there. And she talks about a younger guy who is well endowed but can't actually perform in bed. So hot. And then there's the part about her kids finding out that the parents have opened their marriage that just made me want to die. The truth is that in general, I'm very freewheeling about what you want to do with your own life. Are there people who will be happy with polyamory? I don't really believe it because it discounts human nature completely. But if that's what you're into and it works for you, go on, have fun. What bothers me is that marriage actual marriage where two people love and support each other and are actually happy together really never get the New York Times treatment. It's all unhappy marriages and unhappy people stepping out on their spouses and trying to convince the rest of us that this is the best way. 
I get that stories about happy people with functioning relationships and non-cringy sex isn't a story, but we have to wonder why that is. And something I think about is that most people still believe that 50% of marriages end in divorce, and it's completely not true. That was at its peak in the 80s. And I would say that part of that was cultural and portraying divorces like this fun, amazing thing you should try. But that number is actually about a third of marriages today. And that's genuinely a sharp decline. Part of the reason I started this show was because of all this negativity around marriage in our culture and the constant push of these kinds of stories that portray marriage as a burden and family life as something you need to shrug off in order to be happy. I like having guests on who are in happy marriages or hoping to get into one. I like showing that the better path is to find a real partner, to have a balanced marriage and to get to be your actual self and not be scouring cheating websites to find rando men to fulfill something in you that just won't ever be satisfied. On this show, I hope to be the antidote to stories like the ones the New York Times shows you. And I thank you for listening. Coming up next, an interview with Annika Rothstein. Join us after the break. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does the hard parts for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billings, scheduling, and more with a home management team that provides support before, 
during and after your stay so you can focus on the relaxing, hosting, and making memories with family and friends. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. With Picasso, you can stop saying someday and start building family traditions today in a vacation home you own and revisit time after time. Visit Picasso.com today to see thousands of luxury vacation home listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. Hi, and welcome back to the Carol Markowitz Show on iHeartRadio. My guest today is Annika Hernroth-Rothstein. Annika is an election advisor and author, CEO of the ad agency Nomad Ghana, and just an all-around badass. Hi, Annika. So nice to have you. So nice. What an introduction. I love it. <laughs> I added that last bit. No, I'm like, I, I kind of feel like I need to update my business card or something. <laughs> I agree. I definitely feel like I can't leave this out already on your business card, honestly. No, I mean, it's so you're, it's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're our first international guest on oh, the show. Really? And oh. you're, yeah, I mean, it's been all people in America thus far. And you're a Swedish woman in Ghana. How did that yes. happen? So, oh, wow. Um, by accident, <laughs> in my life, I would say mm-hmm. um, the very short, the condensed version is that I had just gotten back from Venezuela. I was supposed to take a break because I had like an intense, as you know, like an intense time in Venezuela. I get a message. I remember the Venezuela the years. They, that was a lot. Um, so I was like, oh, I'm going to ch- chill out like maybe write my second book or do something. And then I get a DM on Twitter from somebody who says, um, want to work on elections in Africa. I feel like it would be a really great fit. Saw what you did in Venezuela. If you can survive that, you can do anything. And because I have no impulse control whatsoever, thing to say, <laughs> I thought to myself, that sounds wild. Let's do that. And that is now four years ago. Wow. And some change. Yeah. So do you see yourself staying there? I don't know. I've learned not to to think too hard on these things because it just tends to not work out that way. Um, I gave myself five years when I came and I, it ended up like being a good situation for me. Initially, I said five years mm-hmm. because five years is as like after five years, you live, live somewhere. Maybe that's just my yeah. internal logic. But after five years, you're properly settled. And I haven't reached right. the level of maturity in life yet where I'm comfortable being properly settled. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think I think five years makes sense. Yeah. Because it just felt, it, it felt right. So I'm thinking that I'm going in six months. I'm, I'll take like a mini break somewhere and think about it and figure some stuff uh-huh. out. But that's. That's the level of planning that I'm at, um, mm-hmm. always. And so far, right. so good, kind of. So Annika's book is Exile. Uh, it's very, you could see it's very well-worn. I, I read it a lot. Uh, it's that. Portraits of the Jewish Diaspora. Um, and it what it is, is it traces Jewish communities all around the world in different places that you wouldn't imagine there are Jewish communities. Um, so what would you say was your kind of most unique place that you visited and what what did you like about it? Well, I, I mean, Iran is the thing that stands out, I suppose, because it's it's a Jewish community that a lot of people think about, have 
opinions about, um, use as a tool for in various debates, whether it's for or against something. The the Persian Jews are, are and the Jews of Iran are 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 used a lot. You know, that's something I found after the fact. But being there, it impacted me. It made me a much more ardent Zionist, I think. I mean, I was pretty hardcore to begin with, but it made me understand. <laughs> Like, yeah, I was sort of to the to the right of Genghis Khan before that, and then it just moved. Um, right. But I, most of us have never had an experience, been able to to figure out what life is like before Israel or without Israel. Mm-hmm. Thank God. We don't know that. But being in Iran made me understand what my life would be like as a Jew were it not for the state of Israel. That was the... Right. I could walk in their shoes for a moment. And I mean... Of course, I could leave. Um, so okay. it's different, but it made me understand the enormous freedom that comes with even me in the diaspora. For me to be a Jew, feel free to speak, act, be Jewish, speak out, act out, because I know that I have a life raft, you know, somebody watching yeah. my back. Yeah, there's always a backup, right? And I was able to spend two months with people who have no backup. I mm-hmm. It humbled me to what they have to do, what they can't do, what they have to do, what they can't say, what they have to say, all of those things, which is why I'm today, I'm a start <laughs> defender of them and also very sensitive to when people speak about them, I would say. But it was, and then of course, I was able to go to the tomb of Esther and Mordechai, which was you know, a tremendously emotional experience mm-hmm. to to be in an ancient Jewish community and and just it felt I mean, everywhere you go where there's Jews, that's home, you know, to some yeah. extent. But it was it's more with the political aspects of it, the the atrocities atrocities that they go through every day. But having a Shabbat meal in Tehran is something that will stay with me forever. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's it's the most right amazing experience so you spent a lot of time in venezuela and i think you really quite have an affinity for the venezuelan people is that fair to say i feel like i've heard some real warmth from you about them um what was that like what was your how long did you spend in venezuela because i felt like you were there i was there yeah i was there and and not like a long time ago either like it was i mean i'm I'm saying it wasn't like pre-revolution it was like right it was like oh, four and yeah. a half years ago, I guess now that I mm-hmm. left, uh, or even less. And I mean, it's it's affinity, it's passion, it's love for them. Um, I found it felt like home. I guess maybe that also speaks to my love of chaos, um, um, chaos and noise. <laughs> you no. <laughs> so maybe that's between me and my therapist. <laughs> what what went on there? <laughs> but. But it just, I, it was one of those places. And the same thing with Iran, I was supposed to be there for like a week and it turned into two months, which was ill-advised in a lot of ways. The same thing happened in Venezuela because I was supposed to go there, cover, I came there right after Juan Guaido had announced. So it's was like, I'm going to go there. I'm going to write about it, maybe go to shul and we're done. And I stayed a year because I just could not stop digging at it because it's one of those places where you 
think you get it. And then something happens and then you understand, oh, so it's all shit. Like I thought that, you know, I came there, I think I was still, <laughs> I still wanted to believe that there's like a good and, and a bad and, you know, mm-hmm. that I there could be just this unequivocally good side and somebody is fighting in the freedom and justice thing of it all. Of course, we all love that on the the curve of that drama is it speaks to it all of us do you want to tell us about that or is that is that a touchy well it's not touchy i mean i was deported um so i was as you are right Uh uh-huh i love the first deported by the way (laughs) the first time i was deported (laughs) yes because obviously that was not the only time annika was deported (laughs) no it was the signs of two kidnappings, one deportation, one illegal entry, and one warrant for my arrest by the Sabine, which is, that's why I ultimately left after a year because I was deported. And of course you can't mm-hmm. enter again, technically, but it's quite easy to smuggle oneself in through into Venezuela from Colombia. Usually people go out as we know, usually, um, but I, <laughs> usually, but I actually, yeah. I had the help of a rabbi. I won't mention his name, but mm-hmm. a, a rabbi helped me right sneak into Venezuela across the bridge. So I came mm-hmm. back. Uh, I got kidnapped again for the second time after having done that, and then they found out I was there illegally and used that as an excuse to issue a warrant for my arrest the intelligence services, the be, And then that even I realized that you don't want to get disappeared in Venezuela right. by people who are trained by Cubans. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, abroad I remember before. thinking I need Annika to get out of there like right now. And that's an, yeah, that was, um, there was, again, I knew there were you, obviously I love that there's, that, that there's this amazing, you know, Jewish Swedish woman who goes to these crazy places and tells us the stories. But like a lot of people, I'm sure in your life, you, you worry me, you definitely worry me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was, there was a time when, during that time, my best friend was a very calm and collected woman, wrote me and said, I would like you to send me your funeral plans as I assume <laughs> that I'm the one that ends up fully call. And at that point, I realized, okay, I'm not. She sounds very- Russian, honestly. <laughs> yes, she was very light. She said, I would like to know. I'm assuming you want to be flown mm-hmm. to Israel. So please let me know how I should go about that. But but that was the mm-hmm. point at which when you had to negotiate your exit with a foreign intelligence service, which was what I was doing, I, I hid in a brothel for a few days and negotiated my way out. The only leverage I had was my Twitter following mm-hmm. and basically putting them on blast and 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 basically their anti-Semitism because they believed that I was much more connected than I actually am. Mm. So that was because I had been accused of being, as always, a Zionist entity, spy, et cetera. Right. You know, the usual, right. the usual stuff. Uh, interloper, yeah. You know, the, <laughs> that's just what they usually, mm-hmm. the, the classics, the hits. Um, so yeah. so I, I used that to my advantage and basically played that side up dramatically and said, you know, 
if you do not allow me like safe passage, the, you know, the Mossad will come down on you, which I very much doubt that anybody would come to. <laughs> I totally know them. <laughs> I totally know. No, I, I can tweet at Mossad right now, actually. Exactly. So, let me go. So, so there, so that was it. That was the end of that year. And a lot of people yeah. were very relieved on both sides. That right. I, I'm sure. We're going to take a quick break and be right back on the Carol Markowitz show. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does the hard parts for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more with a home management team that provides support before, during, and after your stay so you can focus on the relaxing, hosting, and making memories with family and friends. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. With Picasso, you can stop saying someday and start building family traditions today in a vacation home you own and revisit time after time. Visit Picasso.com today to see thousands of luxury vacation home listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O.com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. So I don't know if I've told you this before, but I've been to Venezuela a few times when I was young. Oh. Um, it was actually our first trip. Well, so, you know, I, I'm born in Russia. I moved to America. My parents, super poor. Um, but their whole life goal is as soon as they make any money is to travel. And our yeah. very first international trip, or for, I think it might have been our very first trip anywhere, is to Venezuela. And we get there and we get to the Caracas Hilton and it is, oh my God, magical. A pool. I, I don't think I'd ever swam in a pool until that point. 
And then we take like oh, a wow. rickety plane to Kanaima National Park, which is, you know, red water and piranhas and, and just the most beautiful thing ever. But for me, I was like, can we go back to that pool at the Hilton? Because <laughs> that was way better than this hut that we're sleeping in at night. Obviously, um, yeah. So I I have warm, warm memories of Venezuela. And it was a Russian hot spot. And when I say Russian, I mean ex-Soviet Jews who live in New York, right. not, not Russians in Russia. But Venezuela was a big tourist destination for a long time until until it wasn't um right so i i hope that they get back to you know being a country where you can be safe and i can take my kids on a rickety plane to kanaima again someday because it is that would be the the, the goal <laughs> it's the goal and and it's also even now when i live in ghana my favorite place in ghana is a region that looks exactly like Venezuela. So it's really it's what's, the, like what's the region? The Volta region. So it has the same, you know, the mountain and river and rainforest. And it's both slow and fast paced at the same time in a very strange way. There's like an intensity to it. Mm-hmm. And I it's I mean, I guess there's some irony in the places that I love the most are places that that maybe I could get into those countries again, but I'm not sure how I would be allowed to leave. So the list of those countries are growing. Which so, is really the most important part, you know? It, I found that it is. I've learned through the yeah. years that, that leaving is really essential or leaving on your own terms. Right. Is, is so, essential. Yeah. So a question that I ask all of my guests is, what do you think is our largest cultural or societal problem in America? But obviously you're not American. So what would you say is worldwide the largest cultural or societal problem? And is it solvable? Oh, wow. Okay. Worldwide. That's a lot of responsibility. I mean, I think <laughs> I would pick a country if you want. <laughs> well, I'm happy to. You even, you know, Sweden's biggest cultural problem is. You know, um, I, I'd get canceled if I said. Um, yes, yes. <laughs> but I mean, as a person, you, you know this, I've written extensively about it that as a kid, I spent my summers in, in Dallas and Texas. Mm-hmm. And it kind of started my whole love affair with the US. and it was so drastically different because Sweden in like the 90s, early 90s was a closed country. I mean, a lot of socialism, a lot of like one channel yeah. on the TV, one kind of ketchup, that kind of thing. And right. you're right. Um, and I got to Texas as like an eight-year-old. What a country. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, whatever this is, like, put it straight into my veins. <laughs> like, I was <laughs> the most of Like, I'm converting to American right now. <laughs> it was the most amazing thing I've ever experienced. And yeah. not just because of... And also just to have Texas... Life. Yeah, to have Texas be your it's first extra, American experience. Like, the most American, you know, extra. Amazing. Yeah. And I kept going back and going back and, and I stayed with my dad's best friend from, from high school. My dad went to high school in Dallas. This guy was, it wouldn't happen today, a uh, single man mm-hmm. in his 50s, a uh, hardcore Republican. We basically watched the news, went to the Alamo, uh, went to the school, wow. the book depository. Like he was like taking me through. Like, 
Yeah. We watched the OJ trial together. Like there was a lot of like different. Wow. Memories. Um, <laughs> but the thing that I, I fell in love with was how unapologetic it all was. Right. Like there was mm-hmm. clear identity. I understood what, what it was. Like some of it was loud and strange and a lot, but I understood yeah. what it was because people understood who they were, which to me as mm-hmm. a Swedish person. That's so big. Yeah. And as a European, that's like, wow, people are saying like, this is who I am. I'm standing by it. I, I had a shirt that said, don't mess with Texas. I'm like, okay, I get love this, that. Right. Like I get that. <laughs> and to juxtapose that with Europe, it's a dramatic thing. And I, what I see today, because I went through most of my life, assuming that everything else can change. Europe changes a lot mm-hmm. through my adulthood, growing into an adult that has changed drastically. But I knew that the U.S. would always stay the same, I thought. Mm-hmm. And what I see now in the U.S. is very reminiscent of what I've seen in Europe over the past, let's say, 10, 15 years, which is lack of identity. So interesting. And it's the thing that has, because we've all the movements you see in the U.S. now, all this extremism, this side in the vitriol, the bizarre identity politics we live with that like i've lived this story already like i've seen the movie already never in my wildest dreams would i think that this would take place in the u.s but i think it's although the european lack of identity comes from a different wound in my opinion which is the 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 second world war and sort of the lessons Mm -hmm. the wrong lessons that were taken from that the they kind of cast off nationalism and national identity and all of these things. Right. I'm, I'm working very hard not mm-hmm. to make this like a TED talk. So I'm kind of skipping you, but, <laughs> but what I, but I'm like in my head, I'm like, after this, I'm going to message Annika and say, you have to write about this. Like you must write something about this. This is such a good point that I really don't think I've seen made elsewhere. Well, what I saw, so go, and, go on, please. Yeah. What I saw is that I'm, I'm, I'm going to take one thing that to me when I watched it as a person who has, strong ways to the to the Middle East and to Europe as a Jew, all of these things. Although I hate saying as a Jew, so let's just... As a Jew, know. right. Yeah. Uh, when I, I get it. When I yeah. saw Obama's Cairo speech, I was like, wait, 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 wait. This is different. This is like a crack in the veneer. This is a way of speaking about America and the world that I don't... And I'm not American, but I somebody was like, wholeheartedly adopted America and has has a love affair with that country. This is not the identity that I know it to be. It is apologetic. It is moving away from like, oh, we're not all that. We don't want to be too involved. We don't want to be this. We don't want to be that. It's it it was distancing. He was distancing himself and and by extension the US from all of the things that we desperately need the U.S. to be because it's applicable to draw like a very, <laughs> a very perhaps strange conclusion from it. Me as a, like, as a European Jew, I learned very early, you know, if I become less of myself, they're going to punch me twice as hard. Nothing good will ever come of me saying, sorry, sorry, sorry. I don't like Israel. Yeah. I'm not that Jewish. I'm Jewish. Don't worry about it. Right. Your food. I'll yeah. Care. They don't even kill you last at that point anymore. You know, right. 
Like there are no, like, like my mom always said, there are no first class tickets on the train to Auschwitz. And I understand it's a very harsh statement, but it's also. No, it, it's real. Uh, it, it's totally real. It is. And so what I loved about the U.S. was like, okay, sometimes it's like that guy that we sometimes think is an asshole. I'm, I'm not sure I can, I'm allowed to say that, but otherwise. You're, you're totally allowed to. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. But we respect him. Because he is mm-hmm. an unapologetic, we know what he's about. And we also know that, yeah. like, if I'm backed into a corner, this is the guy I'm calling. So, yeah, we understand that entity. And now none of that exists anymore. So it's like the same thing that I see in Europe that for 15 years we've been in a tailspin. Nobody went yeah. past in Sweden specifically. If somebody asks, what is it to be Swedish? They go, oh, I don't know. I'm saying right. I'm unSwedish is a compliment. In if you say right. to somebody you're so unSwedish, that's a compliment in Sweden because we have wow. some disdain for ourselves, and that is. But yeah, I know you probably wanted to. Do you see the pendulum swinging? No, no. I love this answer. I think this is like amazing, and you re- definitely should write about this. And I'm going to read it and share it. Um, but do you think the pendulum will swing? Because I have to say, there was right before Brexit, which you know. Everybody was like, no way Brexit's going to pass. Like right. the polls were all like, absolutely no. Mm-hmm. Um, a British lefty friend of mine posted something like, what's the big deal about being British? Like, why do we need to be on our own? Like, why can't we just like join, you know, join, be, stay in the European Union? Nothing makes us that special. And right. I swear when he posted that, I was like, oh, wow, this thing is going to pass. Like yeah. nobody wants to think they're not special. Nobody wants to think there's nothing unique about their culture. Like I was like, this is this is passing. That was my my moment. And when it did, I was like, yeah, I mean, th- this is it. British people want to feel British and Swedish people, I, I think somewhere in there want to feel Swedish. I think that just like what's become well, acceptable what- to say. And every time... Every time a right wing party wins in Europe, it's like, oh, how could this happen? Well, I can tell you how this happens. Right. You know? Well, the problem is that in lieu of national identity, everybody is the main character. Every single thing is the main character. What the, the goal should always be to have a strong national identity so that we unite uh, under a certain. Yeah. Now we're living in a house without walls. You know, this, right. every, everything kind of goes right. And and yeah. with national identity comes sense of purpose, unity, mm-hmm. religion, most likely, all of these things that are values that all of it. down. And when you yeah. take that away, you know, a, a vacuum will 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 long to fill itself with something. And it's all right. these little cancers that come in and where everybody is the main character. Everybody needs to replace this because we need that identity. And it's been taken from us in Europe, or we gave it up, rather. Um, and is the pendulum swinging? Well, I think that what I see in Europe is that, yeah, we have fractions, right? Like, there are fractions where there's very strong identity in this corner over here and that corner over there, but that's not what we're looking for. I have had a strong sense of paradise lost for, I don't know, I guess it's 20 years now. Oh, God forbid. Mm-hmm. Because I grew up in a place that was very, very different. It wasn't the most exciting place, but I knew what it was. And that, I don't think I, in my lifetime, I will ever see again. 
we haven't talked about it, but you have these two beautiful teenage sons yes. um, and you live this exciting, amazing life. You're, you know, CEO of a company and you're just mm -hmm. awesome. Do you feel like you've made it? I don't think it's in the Jewish nature to ever feel you've made it. <laughs> I feel like I hover around 75% on a good day. Like that's a really mm -hmm. good day. Uh, on a bad day, I'm like a 34 perhaps. So, and I don't expect that to ever change. Like, I, I recognize that there are some aspects of my, like, I have moments when I think, wow, like this is crazy. This is amazing. But it's like, you know, you know, like Jewish parents, when you come home and you have like straight A's and then one B in gym, or in my case, an M in gym, then the, fo <laughs> the focus is the gym. Like, nobody... That's, I, I am that Jewish parent. There we go. <laughs> like, we're flat. The, the joke in my house is like an A, why not like, you know, or it's like a hundred, why not 105, you know? It works, you know, it's like mm -hmm. uh, my dad, every, on every birthday I've ever had, like that used to be the running joke that he, his only question, like no happy birthday was always, is this the year you're getting a PhD? And cause it's like <laughs> embarrassing to be the person without a PhD. So, so so I think that it's kind of in in one's nature to not feel like because I don't expect in my life to ever feel like, oh, I made it. I'm cool now. I'm good. Um, so but if I can maintain a 75 percent where I like feel that that's the average, I'd be very pleased with that. So end here with your best tip for my listeners on how they can improve their lives. Well, so the tip is as far I thought about this and I was like, oh, I have to be like really profound. And then I, I thought, no, I have to be real. I know it's a lot of pressure. But then I remember, so it's actually, I, I'm the youngest of three girls. And my oldest sister gave me the best advice I ever got. And it, it changed my entire life. And it, I was about 21, 22. And I was in my very like navel gazing phase that lasted about 10 years who, like, who among us right, right? yeah it was a little, but it was also like i was in the catch phase where it was a lot like dad did this and mom did this and well me and like i was really like heavy into therapy and heavy into myself and heavy into what everybody else owed me and i guess she got sick of it like they had coddled me for a long time because again i'm the baby so i expected that and then she kind of, yeah, she had enough. And she said, I'd like you to make a list of the five best qualities in yourself, the five things about yourself that you're the most proud of. And I made this, I really thought about it because again, I love thinking and talking about myself. So I was happy to get this assignment because <laughs> that was like pretty much my object. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm independent. I'm intelligent. I'm a survivor, like all of these things. And she said, okay. And now I'd like you to tell me how many of these are because you had a happy childhood. Mm -hmm. And it shut me down. <laughs> it shut me down. Yeah. I I'm going to use that. A happy childhood. It really does, right. you know, lead to a lot of other good things. So she looked at me and she was like, yes. Yeah. So things were kind of shit. Okay. Dig where you stand. Mm -hmm. Say thank you very much. I'm an adult now and I'm going to go deep with the world deal with my shit and take my own responsibility and I like it it really it was a, the slap in the face that I needed but I've applied it I've applied it because it's 
I'm an adult, which means that whatever goes wrong now, it's on me. Whatever goes right is on me. And that sense of responsibility. That's the worst part of adulthood. I hate it. <laughs> I mean, it's, it sucks. <laughs> but, but what I found is it helped me to get out of the place that so many of us get stuck in for a long time. And getting back to what we spoke about before and what we see going on in the U.S. and in Europe and everywhere right now. I think a lot of people would do well <laughs> to kind of apply that in one's life and, and to realize that, yeah, we, it's easy. If we look even for a second, we can find people to blame for all kinds of things. But once you get out of that business, it, it leads to really positive places. And uh, so that's the best advice I ever got. Yeah, it's really great. Thank you so much for coming on, Annika. Her name is Annika Hernroth Rothstein. She's fantastic. Check out her book, Exile. She's Truth and Fiction on Twitter. Really good follow. Thank you so much for coming on. Such a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us on The Carol Markowitz Show. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.